So open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be beginning a new series this morning entitled, A King Like No Other. A King Like No Other. And we're going to be going through the book of Matthew together and considering King Jesus as he is presented to us in that book. By the way, my name is Ken DeLage. If I haven't met you, great to, uh, great to see some guests here today. And thank you for being with us today. It's good to be together also just as a church family as we uh, celebrate uh, the Christmas season and look to God's Word together. It's a fitting time of the year to start one of the books of the, uh, of the Gospels where we can begin to look at the coming of Christ uh, together. So the royal house of Romanov had ruled Russia for over 300 years. It went back to Peter the Great and even further back than him. And now Tsar Nicholas II was emperor and autocrat of all the Russias, like his father before him, like his father before him, and like he hoped would be his son after him. But in the winter of 1917, the hopes that he had were dashed. The house of Romanov, which had ruled Russia for 300 years, fell. With the rise of communism, the Tsar was forced to abdicate. He abdicated on his own behalf and on behalf of his son, so that neither of them could rule. The rule was over and his throne would sit empty. Within a short period of time, communism swept over the land like a a cold Siberian blast, just imprisoning the land in its icy grip. The Tsar and his entire uh, immediate family, including his famous, famous daughter Anastasia, would be killed during the revolution. The Romanov throne still sits empty today. This is actually a picture of the, the throne. He sat in the middle throne. It is in the Kremlin, in Moscow, even today. The throne of the Romanovs, empty for over a hundred years. Now, Russians don't give a lot of thought to it, nor put much hope in it. It is the story of a fallen royal house, like so many other throughout the history of the world. An empty throne. Nicholas, as it turned out, was a king like so many others. If you had lived in Israel 2,000 years ago, you would, of course, not have heard of the Romanovs yet. They hadn't come around yet. But you would be very aware of and you would be mourning over the fallen house of David. The Davidic throne sat empty. And unlike the the throne of the Romanovs, which from our time is only a hundred years ago, the Davidic throne had sat empty for 400 years. For 400 years, there had been no king. And the house of David was dearly loved and Dearly grieved, and it was dearly hoped that it would rise again. But it had been so long. The land without king was left defenseless. The nation was without protection. The tribes were without unity. The multitudes were without vision, and the people were without hope. 400 years with no one on the throne. Matthew chapter 1 begins 
The first 17 verses are a genealogy. First glimpse to us, that might seem sort of unimpressive. In fact, if it was up to us, we might grab Matthew. Come here, buddy. Come here. You want to start a little differently than that. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't even read those. You know? you got to start with a hook. Start with something interesting. Start with a genealogy. But if you were a Jew, living under Roman rule, suffering at the hands of your enemies, longing for a king of your own, waiting for an empty throne to be filled, then Matthew's beginning is not merely a hook. It is a thunderclap from the Lord. It begins in verse 1. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Imagine if today a, a, a famous Russian was ascending. We'll call him Sergei because I don't know other you know, Russian names. We'll say Sergei, right? So the, the front page of the paper begins like this. The rise of Sergei. Descendant of Tsar Nicholas II, heir of the House of Romanov. That would be quite an introduction to a newspaper headline. That would be a hair stand up on the back of your neck kind of announcement. What? After a hundred years? What? I wonder what Vladimir Putin thinks about this guy. So Matthew begins his story by introducing Jesus with three specific titles. Three titles in the very first verse. The first, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, we're used to thinking of Christ almost like his last name. You know, I'm Kendall Age and he's Jesus Christ. But Christ is a title. The title means the one who's been anointed. The anointed one or the Messiah. So he is the Christ, and then he is the son of David, and then he is the son of Abraham. So we're just going to follow those three titles down through the text this morning. Those are going to be our three points. So let's begin with the son of Abraham. Son of Abraham. And that's going to take us from verse 1 down through verse 6, the first paragraph. So can we read that together? Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram and Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. God's word. So Abraham leads off this genealogy. Matthew specifically starts with him. He traces the line of Christ all the way back to Abraham. Of course, Abraham... Was, was the first man called by God out of his own country to start a new people. To start the, the, the chosen people in the promised 
land. Do you, do you remember the story? Because the Jews reading this at the beginning, they would have thought of the story immediately. They would have thought of the promises that God offered to Abraham, that he would bless him, that he would curse those who curse him and bless those who bless him. But not just to bless Abraham, but that through Abraham, all the peoples in the earth would be blessed. This was the, this was the promise given to Abraham. So what is, what is Matthew doing here? What is, what is Matthew starting with? He's, he's beginning by, by calling Jesus the son of Abraham. He's, he's viewing us in. He's the one that's come to do all those promises. To receive and to fulfill all those promises. The one who, who God promised so long ago that through him all the world would be blessed just showed up on the scene. That's who Jesus is. The one who will be a blessing to all people. So, so it, it shows that Jesus is a, a Jew. He comes from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Judah. As a Jew, he's in, the inheritor and inheritor of all of those promises. But he is a Jew who didn't just come for the Jews alone. He's a Jew that came for all of God, all of God's people to be a blessing to all peoples in all nations. He came to be a blessing beyond just Judea, but also to Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth because Jesus is the son of Abraham. So that's our first point, son of Abraham. Second, son of David. And that takes us into the second paragraph of our passage together. So let's pick up. It's actually the middle of verse 6 there at the second paragraph. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So just as God had made a promise to Abraham, God also made a promise to King David. And that happened back in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 7. God said this to David. He said, when your days are fulfilled and when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. So at first, it, it seemed as though maybe Solomon was the one that was going to fulfill this promise from God. He was born of David. He came, he sat on his father's throne in, in accordance with the prophecy. He even built the temple, right? He built the house of the Lord. And so it certainly seemed as though Solomon was the fulfillment of this prophecy, except that the prophecy was so big. God said that he would establish the house of David forever. And that's like a long time forever, a very long time. And there's the problem. Because the house of David had fallen. It wasn't ruling anymore. Matthew 1 verses 6 through 11 that we just 
read together is not the story of the rise of the house of David, but rather it's a story of the fall of the house of David. It begins way up here with David and Solomon, and it just it just goes horribly wrong. And Matthew knows all that. He knows the history, and he's including it anyway. Because he's, he's keen to connect Christ to those promises that were made to David. But at the time, I mean, the kings that were listed here, some of whom are more familiar perhaps to you than others, a few of them were okay. Many of them were awful. Just wicked men who led God's people away from God as fast as they possibly could. What good is the house of David? It was, it was, it was deformed and, and grotesque and had cut it down like a tree in the forest. And that's how this ends, the deportation to Babylon. They had, they had so squandered the promises of God that God kicked them off the throne and sent his people into exile. And that brings us to the third, third title that Matthew uses of Jesus, which is the anointed one, the Christ. So let's read the final set of verses together, verses 12 down through 17. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. God's Word. So who are these guys, right? We're reading a genealogy, and like earlier it was kind of, you know, you could follow it. Like, okay, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Okay, I've heard of those guys. I know who they are. But, but these guys, Abiud and Azor and Matin. Who, who are they? These were heirs to the throne who never sat on the throne. These were a demonstration of how impotent the house of David had actually become, how far it had fallen. Person follows person as verse follows verse of people we've never heard of because they never did anything of significance in redemptive history for the people of God until verse 16 where it says, And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now what Matthew says there is, who is called Christ. So that's like, can almost make it sound a little bit like his nickname or something. You know, oh, he goes by Christ. You know, like my, my, my full name is Kenneth, right? But I go by Ken. You know, that, that's not what this is. Right? That's not no no. So it, it's it's not a name thing. This is this is this is a recognition that people had about him. They were calling him the Anointed One. 
That, that's what he became known as. He is, he is called anointed. The anointed one of God. So here's, here's Matthew. At the end of this long list, at the end of this royal line, at the end of this Davidic family tree that we've seen, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, of whom Jesus was born, and Jesus is called the anointed one. The anointed one. Now, when I was reading, remember the Romanoff story, right? When I was reading about that, uh, it turns out there were, uh, in the extended family of the Romanovs at the time when everybody got killed, there were 67 of them in the extended family. And 45 of them were able to escape overseas. So it was only the immediate family that, that was killed. And of course, what that means is that right now, there are Romanovs living all over the world who can trace their line back to the, the, the emperor, back, back to the house of Romanov. That doesn't, of course, mean, though, that the house of Romanov will return. There are many people that are there, but none of them are going to step up as the heir. What, what they're missing is somebody that's, that's the heir to it all, that's anointed to, to be that person. See, in the, in the Old Testament, anointing is, is what happened when God had given somebody a task. So, so a priest was anointed to be the priest, and, and they were given power by God to do it. Oftentimes, prophets were anointed for their prophetic office and given power by God to do it. And kings, kings were anointed and given power by God to fulfill their, their, their calling. And this Jesus, he's the anointed one, too. And so that's, that's the last piece of this puzzle. That's what brings all this Together, Because what, what Matthew's telling us is, listen, this guy is not just any old descendant of Abraham. He's not just a son of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham. He's anointed to do something. He's been, he's been positioned by God and empowered by God to fulfill ancient promises given to Abraham long ago. And, and then this guy is not a son of David another member in this long and impotent line. No, he's the anointed one. He's the son of David that we've been hoping for, that we've been longing for. So Matthew's declaring to the Jews that the king of the Jews showed up. He's, he's declaring to the descendants of Abraham that the offspring of Abraham is now on the scene. King is here. The monarchy is restored. The throne will be filled. Through him, all the world will be blessed. We just, we just finished our series, right? We were in for quite a while called Major Faith for Minor Days, right? And, and that was talking about that period of time after the, the exile when, when the, the folks had kind of languished in these kind of minor days. And what Matthew is doing right here is he's saying the minor days are over. There's something major going on here. The minor days are, are over. No more are we a kingless people. No more are we awaiting the promises. The promises are being fulfilled and the king is here. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us? It's a bit easy to think of how it would have impacted them back back then. But what does it mean for us? Well, let's, let's go going back to our example for a minute. If... If we were to hear the astounding news that 
Sergei, son of Tsar Nicholas II, was rising to power, uh, we we might find it interesting, but that would be about it. You know? Okay. There's a king. Cool. You know? It'd have some political impact or, or something like that. But But if you were Russian, and if you lived on Russian soil, it would have a different feel, wouldn't it? It's not just, there's a king. It's, I have a king. Oh, oh, I have a king. Oh, this, this changes things. This changes my life. This changes the, the fortunes of our, of our country. And so today, God is speaking to us through Matthew. And he's not just saying, there's a king. He's declaring, you have a king. You have a king. Jesus is the one anointed to rule and to reign, the one who's come to bless all the nations. His reign isn't limited to the Jewish homeland or to the Jewish people. It's for all nations and all peoples at all times. Jesus is the one around whom history bends and revolves. He's the one for whom the throne of heaven has, has waited. He's the rightful monarch over the world. Friend, there is a king. Friend, you have a king. You have a king. So, how will you live? How will you respond? Knowing that the king has come. Perhaps you've been invited to turn to Christ at some point, but you never really have. You've heard gospel presentations and, and you've never you've never actually just turned to him. I've heard the gospel of Jesus presented before in a kind of pleading kind of way. Almost a, a begging kind of way and almost encouraging people to barter with God. Well won't you turn to Jesus? He'll make your life so much better. Won't you turn to Jesus? He'll take your sin away. Won't, won't you turn to Jesus? He loves you. Won't you turn to Jesus? He will bless you. Now listen, He does love you, and He will bless you, and He will forgive you. But don't get the wrong impression from all that. You're not the king deciding what to do with Jesus. He's the king deciding what to do with you. And He's not here this morning to barter with you. He is here this morning to call you to surrender because he is the king. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. The fundamental move of the Christian is to kneel. That's what repentance is. That's the, the biblical word for it is, re, is repentance. When I, when I disavow my own kingship and acknowledge his because that's who he is. Whether I like it or not, he's the king. And I must yield to him. So friend, if you have not done that this morning, let me exhort you to turn to him and to submit to him and to follow him. And don't come bartering. Just come asking for forgiveness. And listen, here's the, here's the wonderful reality of this king. If you, if you come with that attitude, if you, if you come with the attitude to just repent. You will find that what you're receiving is far more than you would have ever thought to barter for. Because he's a loving king. 
and a generous king and a wonderful king. Saints, let me invite you to consider what this means also. Consider one thing before the Lord in terms of application. One thing, one question regarding your life and his kingship. That one question can be described as one place. So what I want you to do is look over the landscape of your life. Consider for a minute and even invite the Lord even now to help you consider this. Look over the landscape of your life, the the joys and pleasures, the delights of your life, the sorrows, the difficulties, the pain in your life, the 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 work, the labor, schoolwork, job part of your life, the relationships, co-workers and friends and family in your life. You see the landscape? Can you see that for you? You see that landscape? That landscape is his dominion. All of it is his. He is king of all of it. Is he king of all of it? Is he king of all of it? Or is perhaps even now the Lord pointing out an area where you've yet to yield to him? Or maybe you did once and you've kind of pulled back from walking in a way that acknowledges his kingship. So that's the one question. What's the one place where God's calling you to surrender? The one place where he's calling you to acknowledge his kingship afresh. Where that, that, that area of your life that's the least tamed, that's the least governed, that's the least visited by King Jesus. For some, it'll be a relationship, a broken relationship at home, a relationship that you know shouldn't be doing what it's doing. Some, it'll be a a relationship. For others, it's going to be the arena of work and labor and and effort, and, and you can be convicted of laziness in that arena or working hard but for your own glory and your own esteem and your own reputation instead of the kingship of Christ. For some, it's going to be in an area of sorrow. We all experience sorrow. Godly sorrow is a godly thing, but sorrow can rot into bitterness against God, anger at God, distance from God. For some, it'll be in the area of delights and enjoyments and good things. God has given us many good things to enjoy, but we can take even good things and turn them into idols. Or reach for things that aren't good to find delight in what he forbids. But friend, where is it for you? Where is the one place where you could say, yeah, right here. I'm not yielded to Jesus right here. And the call of Matthew chapter 1 is this. Jesus is king, so treat him like it. Jesus is king, so treat him like it. So in a minute, I'm going to close in prayer. 
And I don't want this to be a prayer where the pastor's up here praying and we're all just kind of listening. But I, I invite you to go before your king as I pray and, and to ask him for discernment. Jesus, where should I be yielded to you that I'm not? And would you forgive me for what I see? And would you help me? So let's take a minute and pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would be present right now as you have been through your word. Govern us by your word. Thank you for your word. Be present now in each of us by your spirit to apply this specifically and personally. Open our eyes, Lord, to the areas in our life that are displeasing to you. Open our eyes, Lord, and help us yield. Pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would give sweet conviction, conviction that points us to you and draws us to you, and then give the, the gift of repentance, Lord, that we would Yes, mourn our sins, but look to Christ and find forgiveness of our sin and find the, the sweetness of, of taking your yoke upon us, which is easy and light. So do that work, we pray. And then, Lord, would you equip us, strengthen us to live under your kingship. We are weak vessels who could commit to following you today and be walking the other direction tomorrow. Fill us with your Spirit, that we would have the, the fruit of the Spirit abounding in our lives, of discipline and self-control, of joy and love and peace. These are the, the fruits of the reign of Christ in the, the heart and life of a saint, and we desire those. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would be a church submitted to the kingship of Jesus. We would be about your name and glory and your honor. That we would willingly sacrifice for the sake of who you are. For the good of our brothers and sisters. Accomplish these things, we pray, O oh Lord. Amen.